0: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can reach them now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can actually ask a question there via their listener inquiry button. Good morning,
1: gentlemen. Good to see you. Good morning, Scott. How's the summer been? Wow. Awesome. Blink of an eye. I know. Where'd it go? It passes fast, doesn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. It's by the way, this is live. This is not one of our pre-recorded no. ones. Now, Those yeah. listeners listening That's again. Right. I'll pinch them if you want. <laughs>
2: it's been too hot this summer. You know, thank goodness there's air conditioning at the cottage. Otherwise, <laughs> it would just be torturous. We literally, we had to come back from the cottage to sleep at home for the air conditioning because it was too hot.
0: Oh, you know what? <laughs> That's a rough that, Exactly. That doesn't count. You know, yeah. you, you lose the cottage for that one. Okay. <laughs> Uh, what are we going to talk about what do you talk about this time
1: of the year well you know what uh, the drive over here you know you had to go past mcmaster university mm-hmm. and although it's quite early right now you know everybody's right back at it mm-hmm. you know they uh, i saw all the engineers parade past my office yeah. pulling a big bus yeah. last week <laughs> okay with yeah. with a you know the horns going and all the frosh yeah. just yanking on this big Big giant rope, yeah, and so it's quite funny to watch this. This is an annual event, so I yeah. know oh, the yeah. summer is officially over. Yeah. CNE starts it off, yeah. and then the engineers, or the new engineers, pulling the bus yeah. around City Hall.
0: And remember, it used to be worse than that. There used to be messages written on uh, on on uh, walls and oh, on yes. overhangs yeah. and and raising cars, absolutely, <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> it's it's they've calmed it down a little bit.
1: This is way milder, yeah. But it is actually it is great to see. You know, And, and it, honestly, as soon as I start hearing the horror, go and everything else. He said, "Ah, oh, must be the engineers. I checked yeah. out my, my office the yeah. window, and sure enough, they're pulling this. This was a, this was just the accordion bus, no less. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> this man. is the big one. I was very oh, impressed man. this year.
0: And, you know, all the parents will be happy that they've spent money well, thinking yeah. that their kids are up to something <laughs> <right>. productive. <laughs>
1: you, know, you know, the thing is, they probably weren't thinking as a, as a physical workout rather yeah. than a mental oh, workout yeah. to become an engineer. Yeah. But that being the case, I mean we'll get to engineers in a second cuz they actually are at the top of A list and I'll go over that list in a second but this is the time for tuition and you know what all those people that did proper planning for mm. 18 years to get ready for their kids you know son or daughter to yeah. go to post secondary whether it's a university or college what have you it's absolutely incredible how that works and you know what it's been a while it's been uh, unfortunately it's been 32 years since I graduated so uh Time flies. It Hasn't been
0: that long for Andy and I. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, it's a dementia must be sitting in the... Uh, <laughs> so. uh, it's actually been much longer.
2: <laughs> That's right. Uh,
1: there we go. There we go. Andy was a year ahead of me. That's all I know. Uh, but, no, it's it's interesting. And the cost of tuition... Has yeah. always gone up a little quicker than inflation. Yeah. I skipped a year, by the way. Oh, yeah. good for you. Good for <laughs> you to took you. a victory lap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they didn't have those back then. <laughs> no. That was right. It was called grade 13. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> and, you know, even last year, um, tuition rates rose by 3.2%. Mm. And the year before, 3.3%. And it was always. You know, five percent, six percent, but again, inflation has dropped even more. So I guess they couldn't justify those kind of increases. Mm. So now you're looking at the average tuition, just t- tuition, at six thousand one ninety one wow. for the average undergrad tuition program paid last year. Now, that's average. I know there's a lot of schools that are charging a lot more. And that doesn't on,
0: include residency that's, or anything. That's yeah. none of that at yeah. all.
1: That doesn't include living costs, food, transportation, transportation, anything else. And certain undergrad programs are a lot more expensive. So, uh, for <laughs> example, uh, say uh, a business degree at Western, if you get into their, their special business degree there, or Queens, they're, they're looking at more like ten to 12000 Really? Okay. Wow. Dentistry and pharmacy can be many times that average. You're looking at almost 20 times, mm-hmm. $20,000. So that's kind of like the bare bones, or call it the average. It's about $6,000 a year. Now, personal experience, my kids graduated not too long ago. And when you start adding all the other costs in, and if they're living away from home, you're darn close to 20000 a year times four years is 80000 Well, I wasn't far off because apparently it is around 77000 is the actual number. Wow. So if you're looking at a four-year degree, $77,000. So is it worth it? Yeah, good question. Well, that's a, you know, if you looked at it, I'm investing some money. Yeah. Is it worth the cost to invest this money? That's the way you really have to look at it, isn't it? Well, yeah. You you know, you could have worked. You know, you could have said, okay, I'm going to go and get a job somewhere. Yeah. But you have to look at the whole cost. It's an an investment. It's an investment in your future. It is. It's a total investment. Now, this is where it's quite interesting, is they actually took a look at all the different undergrad degrees. And other than fine arts, if you're going to be a musician or an artist, it is not worth it. Okay. You are I'm biting my
0: tongue <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah,
1: you, you oh, might, yeah, this
0: is your show, not mine. You, <laughs> might,
1: you may want to look at night school as a hobby. Yeah. Okay, or do this on your own in a garage band or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. that, Because from a mathematical or simply financial end of things, it is not worth it. Mm-hmm. You will, in fact, they looked at after eight years, if you graduated in, in 2005, by 2013, you made $300,000. Mm-hmm. Well it sounds like a lot, but that was by far the lowest on the pay grid. And that's you're making just over thirty thousand a year after eight years. Yeah. Okay. So they were they were not in the in the in the kind of the pay grid that would make it worthwhile from a financial standpoint. That anyway. They
0: expected to be in.
1: Well, you know what? There's some uh, there's always that sense of, well, maybe I'll make a, a, a you know, movie star or what have you, and I'm an actor. And you can, yeah. but again, that uh, starving artist is, uh, turns yeah. out to be true. Yeah, <laughs> okay? yeah, exactly. A lot of them are starving. But you look at all the other ones, including the ones that... Not, this is where I was a little surprised. Social Sciences and Humanities, they're the, the, the second tier, but still did okay. Um, a social science di- um, grad would have started with about 36,000 in 2005 and was at 62,000 by 2013. Not bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, Humanities went from 32,000 to 57,000, and what they found is these grads are very have great problem-solving skills, great communicators, and are very adaptable and innovative. Mm -hmm. So companies are looking at that almost as a think tank and thinking outside the box. So it's great to have those degrees, and they still pay fairly well. Uh, Kind of the next on the list are are the social sciences and the science and agriculture, business. Um, as, as expected, wasn't too bad either. It was, uh, you know, past middle of the pack. And after eight years, a business degree, you would be sitting at over $500,000 after eight years. Wow. So you invested 80000 and eight years later, you got $500,000. Yeah. Um, that's be- worth it. Before tax, but yeah. still. Um, but the best, what would you think would be the best degree to get? I would say medicine. Well, not far off. That was third. Now that was health. Yeah. And you know There's nurses in there too. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, and again, they're fairly well paid. Yeah, but a wide pay scale. But yeah. a far... Yeah, yeah, exactly. So health in general was the third on the list and was just about the same as business. Uh, math and computer science yeah. was second. Yeah. Okay. And they're sitting at about 550, but engineers took the top marks. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Where does law fit into that? Uh, they were... That would be... Uh, this is... That would be a second degree. Right. Okay. So you, oh, right. Okay. you'd have yeah. to go after yeah. the fact. But yes, the, uh, the engineer would start off with about 56000 a year to start. Okay. Mm-hmm. And after eight years, they're making about hundred grand a year. Wow. Okay. So, you know, definitely if your son or daughter is looking at being an engineer. And it's interesting. Uh, back in the day, you looked at engineers. There wasn't too many females mm-hmm. um, back 30 years ago. Yeah. There yeah. was a few. Yeah. Yeah. When I saw them pulling the bus <laughs> in their jumpsuits... There was a good percentage females yeah. now.
0: That's probably one of the last bastions of the male-dominated uh, yeah. courses is, is that. But it, they're catching up, that's for they're
1: sure. They're definitely, yeah. I, maybe a quarter to a third is what yeah. I, you know, just as an eyeballing as I'm watching mm-hmm. everybody pull their buses. So uh, anyway, 99000 a year, definitely a great investment, yeah. okay, from an education standpoint. And that's not even to say you're practicing engineering. Yeah. It's just having that degree and yeah. that problem-solving skills, that is so adaptable in so many different environments mm-hmm. that they want an engineer because yeah. they have a total different mentality in terms of how they figure things out. Yeah. But the big thing here is education is worth it. Yeah, okay, And you can't say that enough times. When you work it out, fine arts ex, you know, excluded, mm-hmm. um, but every other degree is worth it. And then if you get into the college degrees, even probably even more adopt you know more in, important because mm-hmm. they they can be you know learn a, a skill or more a trade applied, yeah and it'd be applied right away yeah it's 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 almost like they walk right into their mm-hmm. their their workforce and they and they don't have to relearn yeah um, probably university has a bit of a learning curve once they get out in the kind of the real world so to speak
0: many uh, graduating university are taking a year or so at a college after that yeah just to get Abs- that applied angle
1: yeah it's and that's a great idea mm-hmm. absolutely great idea so you're looking at how do we get this money? It's, we're talking $80,000 for four years. And I gotta say, this is the reason I want to talk about this twofold, it's, it's you seeing it, it's, it's that time of year, um, school started for everybody but Halton mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yesterday, uh, today, sorry, on Wednesday. Yeah. Um, and uh, Halton was Thursday, but it's right there. And it's important to start setting your sights on a university savings program which has always been what we Andy and I've talked about for years. That using the reg- registered education savings plans. Yeah. Use those RESPs, and if you look at that. As and you a, should
0: start those at birth, shouldn't oh, you? Oh. Like first as soon thing, as the kid's born.
1: You know, you yeah. you get your birth certificate and you get a sin number and you get an RESP. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get buy a crib. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. Well, maybe exaggerating. Uh, you go a bit. go looking for that car seat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a good point to get them home, but. You know, I looked, at, I looked at the numbers and I had a, a number of clients because their, their kids are just going to their first year. And the one thing I kept hearing is, I, I'm so thankful we started this yeah. when we did. Because they're coming out with a substantial amount of money. And they've all said the same thing. I don't know what we would have done. Mm-hmm. We would have had to take a loan against our house.
0: Yeah, that's a lot of money.
1: You know, it is. It's a massive. If you thought of, just off the top. I gotta spend twenty grand this year. You would say that well that's a massive mm. I, I want a car, a renovation. No, no, sending the kids to school for yeah. one year. Yeah. And then if you got two, yeah. that's forty. Yeah. And I've got a friend right now and he's got three and they're not gonna quite overlap, but pretty darn close, Ooh. one year apart. Yeah. So now you're looking at sixty thousand dollars a year if they all happen to make it, you know, if they're born close together. So looking at the numbers, if you just did two thousand dollars a year, which by the way, you're allowed to put $2,500 away per year into an RESP, okay? Mm-hmm. And that's the maximum, and you can go back one year for any year you've missed. So, as an example, if the, your son or daughter is worth, is, sorry, worth is five years old, mm-hmm. you could put $2,500 for this year and $2,500 for any year missed. So, you could do that for five years. So, yeah. 5000 a year. You can go back. For the next five years. And therefore at the age 10, they would've been caught up. Mm -hmm. And then you can carry on and actually go 2,000 year thereafter and pretty much you have all your, at the end of the day, you can put $36,000 into an RESP. So I'm gonna work through all these numbers here and show you exactly the benefit of what this will end up meaning after 18 years.
0: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. You can also check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're talking about university, the costs,
1: and if it's worth it. Uh, It's absolutely worth it. It's just just how do we now pay for it? Mm -hmm. And the RESP, as we were just discussing... You know, if you start right from birth, and you said, okay, we're going to put two thousand away per year for eighteen years, so in the year the child turns seventeen would be the last year. That would mean you could put in thirty six thousand. That would give you know when you put in the thirty six thousand, you get a twenty percent matching grant, mm-hmm. okay, government grant on that, which works up to seventy two hundred dollars, right? Okay, so if you only got you know a pretty reasonable, and I'm generally very, con- I wouldn't say conservative, balanced, you could say for the re- for the risk of a TF, uh, of an RESP, uh, reason being is you know that you got to start spending this money. It's not like it's you know, you can wait 30 years, yeah. you will be taking it all out in four years. Mm-hmm. So you, you got a plan that next shouldn't be too risky because I've seen people back in the old tech meltdown days yeah. put it all into, you know, science and tech funds. Mm-hmm. And I said, don't do that. It's too risky. Oh, I want to, you know, make lots of money. Well, next thing, is not, not worth much. Or too conservative. Yeah. Where they have it in savings accounts, GIC is currently paying 1% or less. And if you go into a balance there, you should earn approximately 5%. And if you do that, your after eighteen years, your two thousand a year would add up to would com- compound to about fifty nine thousand dollars. Wow. Okay. Now the government grant portion, four hundred dollars, that would add another twelve thousand dollars to the mix. Mm. So you're sitting there with seventy one thousand dollars, adding two thousand a year for eighteen years, where the government grants twelve, the growth is twenty three. The interesting thing is, is, half the money is what you put in. And practically thirty-five thousand, almost the same amount, is what the growth and grant would be. Yeah. So here you are with seventy-two thousand, almost enough, currently to pay for four years of education. And I often think there should be no free lunch anyway. The kids should put a little skin in the game. Absolutely. So they often are, you know, working part-time jobs or whatever. But this is actually the case. I just had uh, two clients. Their their kids are going to the first year, and they got sixty-five thousand dollars. So they weren't far off this uh, 71 that they you know projected at. Um, they, we weren't able to start right at the very start, of course. Yeah. And there was a few things that went on, but $65,000 wasn't any, uh, you know, yeah, worked out nice. pretty good too. Yeah. So that's the one. Now, if you haven't done that, it's not too late. Let's say your child's 15 years old right now. You're allowed, and you know that, you know, you don't even have the money. Yeah. You're saying, okay, but you can put in 5000 a year when they're 15, 16, and 17. That's fifteen thousand mm-hmm. dollars. You're going to get thousand dollars a year in grant from the government, mm-hmm. which is another three. So your fifteen thousand is going to turn into eight thousand, even if you borrowed the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, say at four percent, your interest costs are going to be about twelve hundred bucks. So you're going to make three grand and pay twelve hundred dollars to make three grand over three years. Right. It's a fantastic deal. And that's if you don't make any interest at all in your, on your uh, 15 grand. Mm-hmm. So even if you put it into something, you'll make, you know, maybe 1%. So yeah, it's, even if you think it's too late, think about boring. That's actually going to still work out to probably the best investment you're going to make because you're still making a great return all because of the government grant. So other little rules are it doesn't have to be used for school. That's always one of the myths. Um, don't tell the kids that. <laughs> well, good point. Only the growth and grant is the kid's money. Yeah, The uh, principal is always the parents. Right. So that always is returned back to the parents. If they want to use it for kids' education, so be it. Mm-hmm. Um, sources of funds. This is the key part here. I think usually the parents are, are you know, they got, they're struggling. They've got mortgages and everything else going on. If this is a great plan for, say, uh, a grandparent. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're yeah. often in better shape than their, than these new parents. And what a great time for the, the grandparents to throw some money into this every year. And this is actually something that's going to be used. Yeah. You know, yeah. as opposed to, you know, they know. As you said, it's an investment. This is an investment, right. So, and then upon taking the money out, there's a whole new strategy, you know, of taking the funds out. A lot of people look at taking the funds out. So let's say you had $60,000. Some parents would say, well, I'll take $15,000 out every year. Well, the problem with that is... In the first year, first of all, the first semester, you can only take out $5,000 of growth and grant. Mm-hmm. Okay? The next one, you take it all out. But a lot of parents are just trying to work it out evenly. And I, I suggest right off the bat, try to get that growth and grant out as fast as you can. Why? Be- because if they do not continue post secondary, oh, it stops. You actually have to repay all that grant money back to the government. Mm-hmm. And the growth portion, you know, there's two ways it can be taken out with a, a, a taxable and a 20 percent penalty, or move to an RSP, and it's it's not the best thing. So, you know what? It's easy just to be clean, get those funds out of there, and and going forward, you know, one but one place to put these funds is in the child's TFSA right. because they're now 18, mm-hmm. and now it will keep growing tax free. Right. And if the parents haven't even, you know, if they're, you know, say struggling a little bit, trying to make ends meet and you know, haven't used up their own TFSA room. This is also, you can also f- throw the funds into the parents' TFSA. Right. And again, now you're looking at tax-free growth yeah. during the during the child's education years. Rather than leaving it in the RESP, right. it's still got the risk if they can, don't keep going to school. And it's got the taxation risk because all the income is still taxable. Mm-hmm. So there's some strategies on the way out. If you have any questions about the strategies, not only investing in them, but also in strategies on, on taking the funds out in a, a more tax effective manner, feel free to give us a call. All right. Sounds and good.
2: It's interesting, you know, I think about a lot of a lot of parents today as they're trying to budget for paying for their children's education. What I see a lot of times happening, and first year, of course, they're usually in residence. So mm-hmm. assuming they're in residence, it's kind of an all-in cost and you pay that lump sum up front. So you're taking the money out of the plan, or you're, maybe, you're, maybe you are maybe have to borrow from your line of credit initially. So as, as Don said, you can only get 5000 but then come second semester, you can get more out and pay off your line of credit. But in second year, third year, usually the kids want to move out of residence and yeah. they want to get an apartment or shared house or something mm-hmm. like that. And now you can kind of see where the the budget kind of now gets spread out over 12 months because almost all yeah. of these places want you to sign a yeah. lease for a year yeah. so now the parents will often take on paying that 500 a month as part of an ongoing cost so just as you would buy a car on, on payments or whatever then that sort of $6,000 is already paid for over the mm-hmm. course of a year and now they're only drawing money out for the RES, RESP to pay for tuition and books and some other costs. So they're sort of using they're spreading out the yeah. the, the the you know the withdrawals of the money cuz often there's not enough in the RESP by itself to yeah. be able to pay to cover the full 4 years. Yeah. So by using some of your monthly cash flow from your employment income and your work income, you may be paying the rent. And then using the RESP to cover off tuition and books. I'm seeing a lot of that happening in terms of how people yeah. are still managing to cover the expenses and minimize the amount of student debt that, the, that their graduate ends up with. Mm. So anyway, I want to talk about tooth fairies, but I'm not going to go there right just yet. Mm. So we're going we're gonna to <laughs> skip that one. We'll come to that in the next section. But okay. <laughs> um, I want to talk about asset allocation. This is uh, near and dear to my heart, but we're talking a lot about asset, but, you know, people are always concerned about where are my investments? How are they doing? Should we be doing something different? Um, What rate of return am I getting? Can it be higher? Is it, you know, and, and. Often we're not quite sure how to connect the dots in terms of what have I got, what rate of return should I expect. And then obviously then when we're doing a financial plan for somebody, you want to see, does the rate of return you're going to get from your investments match what we've predicted or projected within right. your financial plan in terms of retirement assets, et cetera. So there's, there's used to be when we first started in this business, there were basically two types of asset allocation. There was what we call a strategic asset allocation or there was a tactical asset allocation. And so if you think about the two different ones and you might look at your portfolio and you might kind of have an idea when I explained to them what they are, what you had, was it one or the other? Well, in the tactical asset allocation, the idea was that you could use the information available to you and looking at economic forecasts, looking at the GDP numbers, looking at particular um, individual stock or company uh, success or perhaps failure, and use that to tactically move your money from one asset class or one geographic area in the world to another area. So you might decide, you know what, the next five years, the U.S., Uh, with Trump as the president is not going to be a good bet. I'm taking a lot of my money off the table from the U.S. investments and I'm moving it to Asia or to Canada. So you're tactically moving your money based on a set of um, pieces of information. Based on the environment. Based on the environment, the economic environment. Under a strategic asset allocation, you are trying to balance the risk and reward, but you maintain your asset mix regardless of the expected outlook. And the reason we and we call this the mean revision. A mean revision simply means that, yeah, you know what, the US might have a bad period of time, but over time, over yeah. the long term, it will revert back to the normal long-term average. So if the long-term average has been eight percent rate of return, if I have a period where it's, you know, two percent, eventually it's gonna come back to eight. It mm-hmm. reverts back to the mean or the average. So you're gonna to stick to your asset mix regardless of the economic outlooks that you see. And based on that mean revision. You're going to have a strategic asset mix, so you're stringently adhering to and you seldom stray from your target over the long term. And then you're rebalancing back to your target, the third step, which really basically occurs as your investments stray too far from the original weightings, you're rebalancing it back to where you were. So that's kind of how when, um, when we first started in the business, mm-hmm. we had portfolio funds. We also had tactical asset allocation funds. So now there's a, there's a third element or a hybrid of this, which we call dynamic asset allocation. And the difference is, is that they tried to take a blend of the both worlds. The one sounds great. If I could guess or figure yeah. out where the best yeah. place to be and next is, it is, that it? would be ideal, yeah. right? Yeah. But on the other one sounds so boring. You're just going to stay the course and really, you know, other than you holding my hand through the ups and downs, you know, what's what's going on behind the scenes. So mm-hmm. dynamic asset allocation now takes, again, the balance of risk reward. We're going to adjust the asset mix in response to expected changing in the market conditions. That kind of sounds like the tax practical one. But in terms of the strategic mix, the we're only going to move our money within a defined range from one area to another area. So for example, if our if our model says we want to have 20% of our investments in the US, United States, we might have a bracket where we could go as little as 10, so right. we could reduce it or we could go as much as 30. So we have a a range of 10 plus or minus 10%. Mm-hmm. So we could now we can now take That the forecast and say uh, the U.S. economy looks poor in the coming years, we're going to reduce our back to 10%. And then in terms of reassessing the asset mix, do you rebalance it? That's going to be done depending on market views and the portfolio, and you're going to either underweight or overweight an asset. In terms of your your mix overall, mm-hmm. so when you think about uh, how should you invest your money, whether it's your RSP or your RIF or your education funds, you know any of these three can be a valuable approach. And so, for the person who tends to want to have um, stability, more conservative in nature. I would look probably more to that the the original of strategic asset allocation, where you set your rules, you set your weightings, and you don't change them, and you rebalance on a regular basis. And that works well for, Um, for the long term. So it could be your RESP plan where you just sort of have that fixed weightings in something and Mm -hmm. you don't change it over time until you get closer to needing the money. And then you maybe want to become more conservative. And then it depends on your risk profile too. So if you think about most of us where we kind of put them into a category from one to five, one being the most conservative, five being the most aggressive. And if you're a one you're probably not going to be involved in tactical asset allocation because <laughs> yeah. you're, you're not going to be able to yeah. stomach the yeah. swings up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, so probably if, if you're a 5, you might be very interested in tactical asset allocation. How do I beat the market? How do I yeah. get, get, the, get ahead of the other guy? And, um, and dynamic asset allocation, uh, the, third, the newest version of all of this, is something that can be spread right across all five categories from 1 to 5. Whereas the other two were kind of, they were left right. to either the conservative people or the aggressive people, and so we're seeing a real surge in the in the demand or the interest in in dynamic asset allocation. Um, now, Investors Group, what we've done is we've created a, a whole category of investment options called our Maestro portfolios, and as the Maestro conducts an orchestra, mm-hmm. our portfolio managers conduct the various pieces of the of the investment orchestra, and they'll move money around and they'll actually make adjustments within a range, mm-hmm. this dynamic range, to try and take advantage of what's going on in the economy. Interest rates up, interest rates down, economy doing well, economy doing poorly, and then geographically as well. So you know, looking at um, where that model leads us today. Uh, it's interesting to see, well, what would they suggest that to be overweight in and what would they suggest to be underweight in? And as I'm flipping to my sheet, I'm going to tell you in the next two t- here we go. <laughs> so we are overweight right now in Canada. We're overweight in United States. We're overweight in Europe, uh, and we're overweight in Japan. And we are underweight in global, government bonds. We're underweight in government bonds and we're underweight in cash. And we are neutral in oil and gold and on currencies, we are neutral in the Canadian dollar, the European dollar, and the yen versus the United Again, States. I can't explain underweight overweight. So what we're looking at then is if we had a let's say we decided we were going to have 50% of our of your portfolio in stocks and 50% of your portfolio in bonds. And then within that stock category of your fifty percent, how much is going to be US? How much would be Canada? Mm -hmm. How much? And so we'll create a, a target. And then if we're going to be put more than the target then right. we're overweight, overweight. Okay. if we're going to have less than the target right. okay. we'll be underweight mm-hmm. okay so in general <laughs> so, it
1: sounds to me that uh, they like stocks a lot more than bonds right
2: now they do exactly <laughs> exactly so and it, i often have clients ask me well where are they now what are they doing are they underweight or overweight in certain areas because it's intriguing to them because it's giving them some and you as a listener some insight as to where are the experts and and this is a, a broad team of experts from around the globe that are determining and looking at this on a daily basis to decide what should be underweight or overweight. But it gives you some insight into the process and some insight into what they think is going to do well in the coming period of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, we are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. That's 905 905- 5297165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com all one word that's andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905 That's 905 I remember you using the phrase sell in May and then go away. So yes.
1: would that did that work this summer? Well, that's a great question. And, you know, I go back to my my university days and it was called technical analysis. And what they do, they check out patterns. Mm -hmm. And one of the patterns was, well, there's a summer slump. It seems to be, was a recurring pattern, but still not that much of a pattern. But they made it to the point that they even had a saying. And that saying was exactly what you're saying, Scott. You sell your stocks in May and you go away and usually come back in the fall and you buy back again. And this is back in the day of way before asset allocation theory um you know markowitz won a Nobel prize saying asset allocation matters way more than stock picking Mm -hmm. but there's still all these people that still think yeah i'm gonna sell in may get out of the markets leave in cash spend my time in the cottage and not worry about a thing (coughs) prices will probably be lower and i'll buy back again so what really happened in those last three months it's been three months since basically we've been we've been here Mm -hmm. and Back three months ago, the uh, Toronto stock market was at 14,276, and by the end of June, now this would have been the beginning of June, by the end of June, it went down to 13,689. Now what caused it to drop so much, about a 6% drop by the end of June?
2: Everybody sold in May. I name. was going to say, completely <laughs> <everybody> bailed out. <laughs> it's a well, trick question. <laughs> I think
1: there was some kind of election or some kind of- uh, Yeah, the uh, Brexit. Thing, Brexit thing going oh, right. on. Yeah, yeah. It was an election. It turned out to be an election at the end of the day yeah. well, with May, and Brexit came into play, and all of a sudden, the stock market had a big drop. The Toronto stock market, the European stock markets, the US stock markets, and they went down to 13,689. So I dropped about six percent. Now, where are they today? The Toronto stock market is now at 14,809. So had you just not touched them, stick, stuck with your asset allocation, stuck with your this is the, the Canadian portion, you would have made a 3.7 percent uh, for the quarter, 3.7 percent for the quarter, yeah. which is really good quarter. You think about it, if you multiply that by four. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're talking about a 14.5% rate of return. Mm-hmm. So, hey, nobody, everybody would love a 14% rate of return. And so a 3.7% quarter is actually a very strong quarter, and it totally goes in the face of that sell in May and go away.
0: Well, even with the Brexit thing, I was talking to uh, an economist in Liverpool earlier on in the week, and they said that when it, when it did dive, it's pretty much come back oh, in the months that's uh, right. following. That's uh, right.
1: Absolutely. And, and in fact... The, the, you go to the Dow Jones. Is, that's the Canadian story. What about the Dow? What, what did the U.S. do? Well, it was at 17,920 was the index. It went down to 17,140.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: A drop, again, about 6-7%. It's now at 18,518. Almost mirrors the Canadian experience. It's up 3.3%. And that's without dividends. That's simply the index. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these companies would pay a small dividend. So the, the actual rate return would have been a slightly higher than that. So again, a very strong quarter. And the DAX, which is the German stock market, I didn't check all the, all the uh, European ones, but the European ones up about 4.9% before Brexit, yeah. during Brexit went down and it's recovered and then some. Yeah. Now, just out of curiosity, just in case you actually paid attention at the end of June and you didn't go to your cottage yet, and you say, you know what, instead of selling, I'm going to be buying during this whole Brexit thing. I'm going to buy on the 26th, 27th, the lowest day, wasn't the Friday, it was actually the Monday, it actually started coming back after. So there's still a bit of a weekend hangover, Monday was still going down and then after Tuesday on, after this, it continued to go up. Had you have bought then, in the Canadian situation, you would have been up 8% if you bought during this time. Mm-hmm. And again, this is in the face of all these people saying, oh, this is doom and gloom, what's it going to affect? And there wasn't anybody saying buying. Man. But if you just said, wait, it's lower, it's on sale, down six percent. I'm buying. You'd be up about eight percent. The U.S. experience, you'd be up also, eight percent. And in Germany, it's actually up fourteen percent if you bought then. Mm-hmm. So tremendous opportunities if you look at accumulating money. And as opposed, as opposed to always saying looking at it as bad news, of uh, look at it as opportunities, and maybe rebalancing if you've got money in cash, okay, or you look at should i should i maybe reallocate again going to Andy's situation of the maestro funds you know these these people here they're looking at this every day so of all of a sudden and, and it's kind of interesting that they're actually low in the fixed income right now so they're saying we're going to take money out of the fixed income meaning bonds things that pay interest and mind you they're only paying like one to two percent for 10 years these bonds now mm-hmm. they're they're extremely they actually feel there's more risk in the safe so-called safe investments mm. than going into the stock market and then when these brexit kind of opportunities happen don't call them you know problems these are these are buying opportunities well,
0: i think a lot of people under, underestimated the size of the uk economy and yeah. and how it would react
1: to something like this
0: and and obviously because it was such a a contentious issue everybody thought it would just nosedive yeah. and it did for a while yeah, but it did. yeah
1: no no <laughs> question but it has a has uh, obviously worked its way back, and I don't think it's over with yet. No. Don't get me Don't get me wrong. It's no. um, it's gonna be a long process. Oh, put it this way, yes. uh, UK is still in it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. They, yeah.
0: nothing's yeah. actually happened. No, they haven't triggered anything yet. No, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and once so, they do, it's two years after
1: that. Yeah, so there's right. still lots that can go on. And I know they're building, and, and but it was interesting. The micro part of the economics was the fund managers got out of building companies, got out of uh, financials, they got out of the things that would be most affected. By a Brexit vote hmm. to exit um, and, and stayed in and, and got out of the UK more and kept and kept to the outsides more. So they were very well prepared. And then when there was this downturn, they also are looking after and looking at these as opportunities. They had
2: cash available. They had cash. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's, it's actually interesting. As, as Andy's looking at the kind of the global kind of investments of asset allocation, the fund managers are looking at the micro stocks. What should I buy? What should I sell? And when you got both working for you, you're going to get a very good, solid performance. We
0: are planning your financial future. Uh, From Investors Group Financial Services, Andy Lister and Don Fox are with us. 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can reach them now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Andy and Don, all one word in. You can ask a question via the website as well. Uh, we're talking about the
2: tooth fairy here? Financial lessons from oh, the tooth fairy. Oh, why not? Yeah, why not? We absolutely. can relate. Well, you know, the wobbling tooth usually means that there's money on the horizon for, mm-hmm. uh, for a young child, but it also is a good opportunity as parents to begin sort of the process of explaining and, and helping to educate or... Kids about money, et cetera. And so, So you're going to take the quarter from the tooth fairy. We're going to figure out a strategy (laughs) on some savings. You know, you can't, you have to pay yourself first. Yeah. So, uh, but it's interesting because baby teeth have become more lucrative than you might think. Mm. And uh, we were just talking, I know, during the commercial about how much we remember getting. Did Mm. you get a dime? Did you get a quarter from the tooth fairy? That type of thing. In 2015, what do you expect the Canadian average was? For a lost tooth, Canadian wow! Average.
0: I'll, be, I'll bet it. I'll bet it five dollars.
2: It's not bad. Three dollars and forty-four cents wow. was the average lost tooth. I shot high. Uh, yeah, my 20- parents would have brought the
1: average down for sure if they
2: were still around. <laughs> Hmm. And that's a 23% increase. 23% wow. increase over the 2014 average of $2.80. Well, a what two. the heck's going on here? I know, me. It's that's more in- than inflation. I'm so taking in
1: loonies and toonies of really re- re- yeah,
0: taking a change
2: new level. the
1: change the uh,
0: dialogue.
2: So if you work it out for a set of full first teeth that get lost, <laughs> The average is about 70 bucks that you're talking about. 70 bucks cash. And depending on where you live in Canada. That's if you
0: knock them all out at once. (laughs) That's a hockey fight. (laughs) That's
2: that's a wayward puck. That's right. Depending on where you live in Canada, some youngsters can expect even more. Because we know in Quebec, for example, the average tooth fairy payout is four bucks. And 5% of teeth receive $20 per tooth. Under the pillow, five percent of parents are paying twenty bucks. My whole set wasn't worth twenty bucks. (laughs) I tell you right now. So what should we what should we do with what should we do with this money, and how do we create a teaching opportunity with the money around the Tooth Fairy? And I think a lot of times kids are going to end up receiving coins, right? Mm -hmm. It's loonies, it's quarters, it's nickels. So you can certainly help them just in terms of understanding putting them together, how much do they add up to, et cetera, and and getting them a piggy bank to start. And I remember both my my, uh, cousins, my nieces and nephews, when they were very young, getting them an investors group piggy bank just to get the concept going of putting something away. And what we talked about, just ironically, was we said, you know what, 50% of any money that they get should go into the piggy bank. Mm-hmm. So whether it's a gift from grandma and grandpa, maybe it's a birthday gift, maybe it's the tooth fairy, mm-hmm. what what a good place to start is putting around 50% of the money away. And so it gets them, just gets them kind of an idea of then how to sort of allocate money some of it to savings and some of it to spending. And this is where as You sort of help kids with the value of balancing their wants versus their needs and making sure that they understand having a goal Mm -hmm. for their savings. Mm -hmm. So with that first sort of beginning of getting some money and putting it away in a piggy bank, set them a goal, say, you know what, you, we can't spend any of it until you get to $20 Mm -hmm. or 50, whatever the amount is you want to pick. But once they've got that amount, then you should celebrate. So the next time around, two bucks. Yeah, yeah, you reached your savings goal. Now celebrate. Take a little bit on the next time around, and you can spend some of it. Go Mm -hmm. and do something with it, whether it's a want or whether it's a need. So I think that's uh, that helps them at least sort of begin to be, uh, separate and learn how to tame their, their wants and understand what their needs are as well. So if you make the connection between the cash and for their kids too, popular birthday gifts, right? Grandma and grandpa will give cash or uh, aunts and uncles will give cash again, using that gift to reinforce the value of saving and spending wisely and putting some of it away into the piggy bank as well. The concept of budgeting. So. You know, as the kids get older and uh, their spending kind of starts to change in terms of line with the getting larger amounts, maybe there's an allowance that begins to come into play as well. But again, it's key to have that savings goal and that savings habit. And I come back to the 50% rule, putting away 50% of it. And then we've had lots of conversations over the summer with parents about how much control do they have over their kids when they get their first job? Mm. How much do they do? They control over that paycheck. Do they take the whole paycheck and deal with it themselves? Do they insist on the child um, giving them an accounting of their spending, etc.? And there's sort of it was all ranges. There was yeah. from I'm going to mm. let them take it if they if they blow it all and they fail and they have nothing left to fall back on. Too bad, I'm not going to help them out. To yeah. others where they take the whole paycheck and put it into a separate bank account, and then they allocate them something back yeah. from the paycheck that they feel only if it's a need. And periodically for the want and so the most recent one was uh, a friends of ours who were looking to um, their son had worked all summer and they had been putting away uh, 50% of the money had been going into a separate account for education and he wanted to buy a used Xbox for $150 and the parents refused to release 150 bucks. <laughs> he wanted to take a used Xbox to it's school. It's used. <laughs> I know, which I thought was a frugal frugal yeah, choice. Exactly. He's not going out and buying smart, the yeah. latest model. Yeah. He's buying last year's model, the There's previous garage model. garage sales. You can get one. better deals than that. And... Yeah. Uh, so he went and he did. He worked an extra shift and he actually did uh, make enough money to buy the used Xbox oh, out of that's his good. own cash. So uh, they were very hard hard line on terms of what they could, what you can do. So <laughs> I we think, may um, all be working for that young child one no, day. That's right. <laughs> so if your grandparents thinking about grand uh, grandchildren uh, and the tooth fairy coming around. Make sure you have a conversation about money, how to allocate it, how to save with it, and uh, and start the process young. Because how if do you, you stick entrench those it? habits, pardon?
0: how do you stick to it? Though that's the you know oh, we start this way, but then something
2: happens. Yeah, you have to crazy glue the piggy bank yeah. so that yeah. they can't yeah. break into it. Right, yeah. you, you yeah. physically have to do that. Otherwise, there's temptation. Is to always do it. So, but uh, it, it's it just takes constant reinforcement. And if mom and dad are okay with it. That's pretty good. And start taking your kid. Whenever you're doing your banking, whenever you're doing your financial reviews, whenever you're doing, include them to some degree so Mm -hmm. that at least they get exposed to it and understand it's part of a daily, weekly life where we have to think about how we're allocating our money.
0: Good point. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And you can check out the website at Andy and Don all one all one word. That's AndyAndDon.com. dot com. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll see you next
2: week. Thanks, next Scott. Book.